tonight we're going to continue our study of the last book in the Bible, uh, Revelation. This is the place where uh, most people generally stop reading because it gets intense and kind of strange. And uh, in the interest of time, we will read selected verses from chapters 6 and 7. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And when I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow and a crown, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and was given a great sword. When he opened up the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider, a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain from the word of God, and for the witness they had borne. Had born. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, until the number of the fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, all the angels were standing around on the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before a throne and worshipped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be our God forever and ever amen then one of the elders addressed me saying who are these clothes in white robe and from where have they come said to him sir you know and he said to me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with, pre- with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
so there was lots of September 11th stuff on, and uh, you might have seen that there was a video that some girls that, go to, that went to NYU took um, from their dorm room, from their apartment, and um, when, the, when the first plane had hit, um, I believe the first uh, tower on September 11th, and they were watching and they were talking on the, this was before the days of viral videos, by the way. Um, people didn't just have like their phone and pulled out real quick, they actually had a camera. And um, they were trying to figure out whether the things that were falling from the building were people jumping out or chairs falling out, right? And the second plane hits, and um, they, they run, they're screaming. And it occurred to me, you know, it's 15 years later, you know, 3,000 people died on September 11th. And for those girls in that room, um, that experience hasn't gone away for them, right? Um, the, the reality is for the people that were affected, that lost loved ones, that were hurt, that witnessed September 11th, the suffering of that moment continues on, even 15 years later. It may even be worse now than it was then. And tonight, we're looking at this passage in Revelation. And what the question that I want to ask together is, how do we walk through suffering and I don't even need to set up the fact that the world is full of suffering because you guys have all suffered and are suffering in tons of different ways tonight. And the question that I want to ask you isn't so much like the why questions, but the how questions. Um, and I want to walk through this passage together because I think that in this passage, God gives us, as it were, if we were walking on a trail of suffering and sadness and living in a broken world, he gives us guideposts along the trail. That when the trail forks off, we can stop and we can find our guideposts and find our way. Um, so a little bit heavy tonight, but I, I think that we'll find some real sweetness and comfort from the Lord. And the first guidepost that I want to look at with you from this passage is that suffering takes a lot of forms, and it's often unfair, okay? The Bible is very real to us. If you've never read the Bible, if you're a person that's skeptical of the Bible, um, because you think it's a sort of pie-in-the-sky view of life, and it's just all about flying away to some distant land and escaping the problems of the world, you should give it another look, because the Bible is actually super real with us about the fact that the world is very broken, and suffering is real. Now, I need to give you a really teachy, like, two minutes, because um, I think it will pay off for the rest of the book. We're studying Revelation. This is the Apostle John, who's this guy that was friends with Jesus. Jesus has died, come back from the dead, ascended into heaven, and John is an old man living in prison, and he has this vision of God. And um, when he has this vision right here, uh, he's in the throne room of God. If you weren't here the last couple of weeks, he's in the throne room of God. God's sitting on the throne, and there's a scroll in God's hand, an old-timey scroll. It's a piece of paper that's rolled up, and there's these seven seals on it, these globs of wax. You know, they would put on an ancient document to seal it, and it, it, the scroll is God's plan to take this world from a world that's full of um, brokenness and sadness and pain to a world that is new, where all of the sad things come on true and, all, uh, and, and things are put right. And Jesus, the, the lamb, is the only one that can put this plan into action, that can open the scroll, okay? So as Jesus begins to open the seals of this scroll, all these crazy things start to happen in John's vision. Here's the teaching moment. You will miss this book completely 
If you think that what John is describing are these things that are going to happen in some point in the future. Okay, most people, when they read the book of Revelation, they're really confused because they're going, okay, now, when the third seal is broken, like, what world leader is that? They're looking for some future event. But actually what's going on here is this, these seals being broken, then there comes trumpets, seven trumpets that are blown, seven bowls of wrath. These are all signifying one thing. The time from when Jesus Christ was resurrected... Until the time when Jesus returns again to do away with this world and bring in a new heavens and new earth. Okay, so what I'm saying is these breaking of these seals shows all the time from the time of Jesus until the time when God comes and puts everything to rights. So that means this is life for us now. It was life for Christians and people that lived in the first century. It will be life for whoever lives after this as long as God allows the world to go until Jesus comes back. This is life in the world, and this is life in your heart now. Okay, It's really important to see that. And John is showing us that the suffering that comes in the world right now takes a lot of different forms. Look in the passage, uh, starting in verse 1. This is, this is uh, if you've ever heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, this is where that, that comes from. Um, John sees that the lamb opens the first seal and the first uh, rider comes out. And in verse 2, it's, a, it's a, a white horse and his rider has a bow and a crown is given to it. And he comes out conquering and to conquer. This is... Um, on the macro level, uh, geopolitical upheaval. This is nation taking over nation. This is people um, expanding their territory, colonializing things. Okay, um, that's at the that's at the world level. On the individual level, this writer looks like I want that thing, and I can't have it, so I'm going to go take it. Okay, does that make sense? It's a huge macro deal, and in your heart, it's the impulse to go, I want that, I'm going to go get it, okay? The second rider, if you look, he comes, he, uh, he's riding up a, um, a red horse. Uh, out came another horse, it was bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. This, on the macro level, is war, The fact that wars are going to be something that um, between when Jesus came the first time and when Jesus comes again, there will be wars. Um, What that looks like for you as an individual is, I want that, and if you don't let me have that, I will hurt you in order to get it. Does that make sense? That's essentially what a war is, right? There's a thing that I want you to do or stop doing or a thing that I want from you, and if you don't just give it to me, I will hurt you or I will kill you. The second rider is war. The third rider, this one's a little, a little bit weird. He's riding a black horse, and its rider has a pair of scales in its hand. And he hears a voice, and the voice says this, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. In John's day, a denarius is how much money someone made for working one day. And a, and a quart of wheat is the amount of food that one person could eat in one day. So what John is saying is this means that all the money you make in a day just goes to cover the amount of food that one person can eat. Okay, this is a this is a food crisis, right? That you work your fingers to the bone and you can only feed yourself. You can't feed your family. Okay, there's a food shortage. But it's interesting because he says, and do not harm the oil and the wine. 
The only people that would be able to get oil and wine are wealthy people. Okay? So for the wealthy, they are protected. But for those that are working class or are poor, they are not able to get the things that they need. Okay? On the macro level, this is economic injustice. Economic inequality, the fact that rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But on the individual heart level, this looks like I'm going to get what I want, even if it prevents you from getting what you need. Does that make sense? I'm going to take something because I want it. It might prevent you from getting the things you need, but I'm going to take it anyway. The the third rider is uh, economic Injustice, But the fourth rider, he's a pale, he's riding a pale horse or an ashen horse. And his rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and pestilence and by wild beasts. Um, uh, we have all been visited by this rider as well. Some of you guys have been visited in a very heartbreaking way by this rider. Death and then Hades is the place of the dead. That from the time of Jesus until the time he comes, that death is going to be part of our lives. It is the sort of cold and awful finality of our lives. It's cancer. Um, It's losing a friend in an accident. It's losing someone suddenly to a heart attack. Um, It's disease. Okay, And so John is writing to these churches and he's saying, look, you're experiencing these four horsemen now. On the big community level, at the nation level, there's wars, there's conquest, there's disease, there's economic injustice. You're experiencing in your lives. And the reality is, and I go through all that to say, these riders are still part of your life now. Um, We experience things like suicide and divorce, mental illness, white supremacy, the neglect of children. Just the fact that I was eating Chipotle with my daughter today and she bit her thumb and she, it was like so distressing because she was enjoying this food and she bit her thumb so hard that she could no longer enjoy her food together. It seems small, but she was suffering through that. I saw a lady, a guy spaced out at the red light and the lady missed the light and she like flipped out, right? I want this light and you are keeping me from getting to this to Lowe's Home Improvement Store. Um, It's a world that's alienating itself from God and from each other. And that alienation is real because some of you guys have to walk to class, walk through campus and sit in a class where no one in the class looks like you. No one in the class knows how it feels to be you. Maybe you look around RUF and no one really looks like you and you think, these people don't share my experience. You're alienated. Your parents use you to communicate with each other. As a child of divorce, this is something that drives me nuts. Your parents use you to communicate with each other or to hurt one another. Some of you guys know that well. Or you've lost your core group of friends because you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, Or you're afraid to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you're afraid of losing your core group of friends. Um, Maybe you can't tell people what's really going on with you because you're afraid that they'll leave you. In short, all that feels very unfair and lonely. And these riders ride in very different ways in our lives. And um, if I can, I would say that what I see most clearly is loneliness on our campus. Uh, There was a New York Times article last week that said, as a predictor of early death, loneliness eclipses obesity 
So if you have a lonely person, an alienated, isolated person, and an obese person, the lonely person is more likely to die early. Because something happens to us at the physiological level. Uh, Twitch, which is not a site that I knew of until today. Are we familiar with Twitch, that it's a thing? Okay, some people are nodding. Okay. Um, Twitch, I think, is a like streaming, like a live streaming site. Am I right, David? Okay. Um, people go on to switch for a thing, uh, Twitch for a thing called social eating, which is when someone eats food on camera and people watch. Um, you guys are laughing. If you're, a, if you're into social eating, I'm fine with that. Um, but the reality is we're so lonely that just the idea of watching another human being eating a meal is something that we will go online to watch. Um, I mean, watch people have sex on the internet, on the reg, right? Um, it's actually not that different than like swiping your finger over someone's face to see if they want to make a connection with you. Because that's what it feels like to be isolated. Um, isolation is real. And I'm, 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 I'm bringing this all out just to say this reality is, is, is something that's real for us. The riders are riding now. And we experience this in our lives both collectively and individually. So suffering takes a lot of forms, but... And also, God does not promise to protect you from suffering. This is a very strong and encouraging note tonight for you. Jesus takes this scroll, and as he puts his plan into effect, he's saying, look, from now until the, literally the end of time, suffering is going to be a normal part of your life. Okay? Um, the world is in crisis, and it always will be. Um, the fifth seal, if you look in uh, verse 9 there on the first page, when Jesus opens the fifth seal, he sees under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Um, and it's funny, there's these people under the throne, and they've died, they've been murdered, because they believed in Jesus. And the way that God responds to it isn't like, let's get you out of there. Let's, let's bring this judgment. He says, just hang tight. He says, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until their number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been. This is not like something that's happening and God is somehow freaking out because uh, this is not the plan. And he's trying to figure out how to stop it, that he's powerless to stop. God is on the throne over this. And there's actually more people that have to die. And interestingly, all the writers that come out, and this is hard to say, as I know it will be hard to hear. They're given a great sword. They're permitted to take peace from the earth. God is on the throne over all of this. He's not in a, in a, in a powerless state. And the Bible tells us that he's somehow able to take all that really hard stuff and to work it together for good. And if that is something that gets stuck in your craw to hear that God is on the throne over this stuff, I understand that. Um, I've chosen not to dive into that with you tonight. I would recommend a book by a guy named Tim Keller that's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering because he deals with it a lot more fairly and better than I could. But for some of you, that's a hard pill to swallow. For others of you, it's very comforting to hear 
that God himself is on the throne. But the whole point is this. In God's economy, suffering is a normal part of life. It does not mean that something strange is happening to you. Does that make sense? The reality is that God's expectations for your life and your expectations for your life are probably pretty different. Um, And for God, suffering is a normal part of existence. Uh, Kara Tippett, who is a woman I went to seminary with her husband, she um, died last year from breast cancer. And some of you guys know that feeling very close. And she blogged about it. Uh, she, it's in a beautiful, very grace-filled way. And she wrote, I was reading one of her blogs, and she said, it's easy as a Christian to buy into the American ideal that happiness is the goal, that protection from suffering is living. The big flaw in our lives currently as 21st century American people, for those of us that are 21st century American people, I guess we're all 21st century people, Um, the, The big flaw for us that makes this idea so hard is that we think that if things are hard, if I'm experiencing suffering, then something must be wrong. Does that make sense? Because we think that the ultimate goal of life is to be happy. And so if I'm not happy, then I'm not achieving what life is supposed to be about. When I get uncomfortable... And life is no longer comfortable for me. Something is wrong. And I have to change the situation or somebody has to pay. So if a friendship gets hard, I dip out. Because I'm uncomfortable in this friendship. Um, If things get hard in in the local church, I dip out and I find another one. Um, And when that happens, when we think God is here to make me comfortable, this is so hard even coming out of my mouth. Because I, I know how this lands. Um, but when we think God is only here to make us comfortable, and we're supposed to avoid pain at any cost, like, I need to avoid this situation, so I'm just going to watch Netflix. We miss the deep beauty of a life with God. Because we think, you're supposed to take my pain away. And that's not what God expects for our lives. God does not promise to protect us from suffering. And this is where I hope we can begin to turn the page and find a lot of deep, real comfort. Is that God promises to be with you in your suffering. Okay? What is beautiful about the Christian message isn't that suffering isn't real. Or that you just have to grin and bear it and you'll make it through. Or you have to change your circumstances. The Christian message is suffering is real and it's wrong and it's not okay, but God will be with you in it. Look in in chapter 7 there in verse 14, kind of halfway down the second side of the sheet. Um, uh, This guy, one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then he goes down to say, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. God's promise to you is that he will be with you in your suffering if you are in Jesus. So there's a couple of ways he does that. He promises to hold you. Just tell me if any of those of you that are, are suffering, that things are really hard right now. Um. I hope that it doesn't feel like we're just glossing over that. Um, does this land with you? God promises to hold you. 
In John 10, Jesus says, I'm, I'm a shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. And I have sheep. And they're in my hand and no one can snatch them out of my hand. He says, I, I'll hold you. God promises to walk with you. I mean, when you're suffering, don't you just want someone to come and be with you? Isn't that the desire and the longing of our heart? Psalm 23 is one of the most famous parts of scriptures. Of scripture, when I walk through the I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I won't fear. Why? Because you are with me. Not that you direct me around the valley of the shadow of death, but that you walk with me and that you're near me. Um, God promises to never leave you in your suffering. I, me and my wife were laughing the other day because that Zara Lawson song, um, Never Forget You, is just, just like a pop song, uh, is like waterworks for me like every single time. Especially if you've seen the video where it's like this little girl and like this big, anyway, um, watch it. I just, I cry and cry and cry and cry to this Zara Larson song because I have like dad issues. And, um, you know, she's, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget you. I'll always be by your side from the day that I met you. I knew that I would love you till the day I die. I'll never want much more. In my heart, I'll always be sure I'll never forget you. Um, my fear, and maybe yours, is that, is that God will forget me. And that he'll leave me when I'm suffering. And yet we have this words in Romans chapter 8. If you're afraid of God leaving you, let this wash on you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Neither persecution, the sword, death, God will never, ever leave you. He will always be near you. And and this is where we kind of bring all this down on. Um, How can you trust that? Because I'm asking a lot of some of you guys, because some of you guys are dealing with uncomfortableness, and some of you guys have really suffered. Um, How can you trust that in the midst of your suffering to walk with God that he won't leave you? Because God knows suffering. A guy named D.A. Carson, he says, God doesn't know suffering in the way that God knows everything. God knows suffering by experience. Um, the Lord Jesus was, this is God himself, became a human being. And he was a victim of the conquest of human beings that wanted him to go away and have life on their own. So they killed him. He was a a victim of war against him and violence. He was a victim of injustice and death. Uh, his own death. And God the Father loses his son um, in the work of Jesus on the cross. Um, God knows suffering in the way that only someone who has suffered knows suffering. Um, and God welcomes your cry in your suffering. This is one of the hardest things about life just sucking is that you feel like it's not okay to yell about this. 
It's not okay. Every time I'm with somebody and, and they're crying, which is like twice a day, um, <laughs> is that every single time I have yet to be with a person who cried that did not apologize for crying. And I want to say to you, because God knows suffering, he welcomes your cry. The greatest cry of faith in the Bible is, how long, O Lord? In, in the passage, we, we, we see it there. They're under the throne. They're going, how long, O Lord? And he comforts them. Um, and they come and they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the one that when his friend Lazarus died, when he showed up at the tomb, and he was literally about to raise him from the dead, bellowed with anger from his belly. Because he was so angry and hurt at death because he lost his friend. This is the same Jesus who is on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, The reason you can trust God and move toward him isn't because you know all the reasons why he's allowing it to happen. It isn't even because he can take it all away. The reason why you can trust God to walk through suffering is because he knows what it's like to suffer with you. He has entered into suffering out of love. Um, I live with a woman who, like, needs sleep. This woman sleeps minimum 10 hours a night. Okay, this is my wife, by the way. It's not, this sounds weird to say I live with a woman. But, um, or else she's sick. Like, she has, she has issues, and some, some health issues. And I saw her willingly for someone that was going to scream in her face, get maybe 45 minutes of sleep a night, three different times for someone named Georgia, for someone named Bonnie and for someone named Rosemary, that she would willingly in the middle of the night get up to touch someone else's feces okay, and be screamed at and do it happily to literally suffer Because these babies were everything to her. And God has entered suffering in that same exact way as a father for you out of love. And our hope is not that he's just going to make all this stuff go away. But in the end, it's all going to be resurrected. The beautiful thing, another beautiful thing about the Christian message isn't just that death goes away. It's that all the bad things and all the death all get rolled back and brought into something new and beautiful. Jesus doesn't just die for us. He's risen for us. Um, And I just want to read this Dorothy Sayers quote. She says, it seems to me quite disastrous that the idea should have gotten about that Christianity is an otherworldly, unreal, idealistic kind of religion. That suggests that if we're good, we shall be happy. On the contrary, it's fiercely and even harshly realistic, insisting that there are certain eternal achievements that make even happiness look like trash. Did you know that at the end of this book of Revelation, when we talk about Jesus coming and bringing in a new heavens and new earth, that he can give you things and he brings in a new world that makes your current happiness look like garbage? Not because you should feel bad for this, because it's so good. Um, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You can walk with God through suffering. Look, it's going to be in a lot of different ways, and it's going to be unfair often. And God doesn't promise to protect you from it or take it away. He promises to walk with you through it, to never leave you, to be by your side, to hold you, 
because he knows suffering. Um, And for those of us tonight where that doesn't feel real, I want to leave you with one more quote. I'm very quotey tonight. Thanks for bearing with me in that. A guy named Joe Novenson, he's a pastor, he says this, By faith I choose to live by what is true, no matter how I feel, asking God to make what is true feel more real to me than what I feel. Um, My prayer for us tonight is that walking with God through suffering will feel more real to us than the suffering feels for us, um, that we might have joy in Jesus. And let's pray in his name. Um, Lord Jesus, this stuff is very difficult. And I'm also aware that unless your spirit is at work in our hearts, that we're kind of as hopeless to understand you or to know your nearness. And so would you send your spirit to our hearts um, that we might have a comfort in knowing that you, you walk beside us in our suffering and that you're kind and that you comfort us. Lord, would you help us to persevere with you uh, in Jesus in the light of a world that is terribly broken? Come, Lord Jesus, and fix it soon, we pray in your name. Amen. It's the end.